What is up, everybody? Scorch the fears. We have Austin Rutherford here. He is a guy I've been following on social media for a while. He's pretty darn cool, doing all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a great podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in so, so, so very much. As always, Instagram, come on to YouTube. Then you're going to actually hear Austin. You're not just going to get me. You're going to get the entire freaking podcast. So it's going to be great. Austin, thank you so much for coming on uh, coming on the podcast. Absolutely, man. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So real quick, for the people that don't know you, talk about what you've done in real estate. Talk about like your experience, what you do, what you've done in the past, all of that. Just give a real quick intro for the people that don't know you. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been investing in real estate for about nine years now. Um, started off, bought my first house, uh, my first rental when I was 20, flipped my first house at 22. Um, I'm 30 now, um, flipped a few hundred houses uh, between flips, wholesales and new constructions, did a few hundred deals, um, own like 110, 120 rental properties today, um, a couple office buildings, a warehouse building, um, and, you know, starting to get into bigger development type stuff. So I've uh, been all around the real estate game. Um, I've been able to do all of it using other people's money. So that's kind of one of my niches is raising OPM um, to get these deals funded. So that's a little bit of background on me. Love it. I love it. We're going to get into a lot of that, especially the OPM. I mean, I'm good at it. I'm I'm a Pace Morby student. I'm in sub two. So we talk a lot about raising other people's money. Yeah. Um, my main understanding or what's helped me the most is switching from I'm asking for money to I'm just presenting an opportunity. I feel like that's like the biggest key mindset thing. We'll get into that. 100%. But real quick, I always start off these podcasts. Same question every single time. When you were getting into real estate, what was your greatest fear what were some of your greatest fears and how did you overcome them because everybody deals with fears i find that it's the thing that blocks people the most from jumping into real estate and so what were your greatest fears because you're nine years in 20 million dollar portfolio 120 rentals flips wholesales commercial it's going all crazy right but what when you we go back nine years what were your greatest fears and how um how did you overcome them Great question. So I kind of say like I had like two starts, right? So my original dream was to go to the NBA. That didn't work out, unfortunately. And at that point, like that was my life. I literally worked out like three times a day and I was trying to go to the league. Went to Arizona to play basketball for a year uh, to a JUCO uh, to try and make it. And while I was there, I fell out of love with the game of basketball and I felt lost, right? Because it was all I knew in my life. So, you know, somebody could lose a job, could lose a, a significant other. Um, something can go wrong in someone's life and you're like, what do I do now? And I was just kind of lost. And I turned to books. Um, so I read a book called Think and Grow Rich, which turned me on to, you know, thinking bigger. And then that led me to real estate. Um, and I love the idea of passive residual income. So I bought a duplex when I was 20. But what I really, you know, say my start was was on my first flip. So from I bought my duplex, I had like 35 grand saved at the time, put it as a down payment, then I was broke. So I was like, all right, I need to make money faster to buy more rental properties. And then I got put on to uh, flipping houses using other people's money. I hired a coach. really quick ask you, I'm just curious, why do you consider that duplex just for everyone else? not the start in real estate just like why because my, my first flip i made one hundred and seven thousand dollars in profit so okay well there you go that's some money right <laughs> that's usually like the hook <laughs> um so I, I joined the mentor program and i thought i was going to get rich overnight i was 21 years old i put i maxed out my credit cards to join this program and from that day to the day i ended up flipping my first deal was a 16 month journey and i was valeting cars 50 to 60 hours a week I was going to college taking 15 credit hours. I was a licensed real estate agent and I was trying to start learning to flip houses using other people's money. So I was putting in 14, 16, 18, 20 hour days religiously for 16 months. So during that time, there's a lot of negativity that comes into your life, right? I was 21 years old. This is the time of going to college, partying, going on spring break with your friends. Um, I didn't do any of that, right? I went to college. I went to a, a community college um, because I promised my mother I'd go to get my degree, but I never went to like a big college. I never went to parties. I never went to spring break. I never did any of that stuff because I was focused on big, building something bigger. Um, so one of the fears is like the fear of the unknown. It's like, hey, does this thing work? Is real estate real? Because in that 16 months, you're going to ask yourself a lot of questions. Um, and what I've learned is that real estate is not an if game. It's a win game. So it works as long as you keep putting the work in. So that was one. 
Um, you know, lost some friends along the way, you know, stopped getting invited out uh, to go places with some friends. Um, it, it was, it's, there was a time where I had like less than, I don't know, a thousand dollars in my bank account um, and hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. And I was like, yeah, this is tough. And uh, finally ended up getting that first deal. Um, didn't have the money. So then I had to go raise a quarter million dollars to get that first deal funded. Um, again, a lot of unknown, a lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty. It was $170,000 rehab. I have no idea how to do that at the time. Um, and just kind of put it all together. Ended up flipping the house, making over $100,000 in profit and you know, reinvested every single penny um, and just you know kind of build it from there. I love it. So real quick, I, you said something gold in there that I want to focus on for a second that I truly believe about real estate, which was what you said was, it's an if game, not, or I'm sorry, it's a, it's a when game, not an if game, right? Yep. Where like everyone becomes successful in real estate as long as they keep doing it. It's not an if, as long as you keep doing it, which is one of the craziest things in entrepreneurship I've ever seen. I don't think there's any other industry like that where it's like you just keep going and it and you eventually become successful. I don't know anyone who's done it honestly longer than like a year and a half who wasn't eventually successful if they were like actually putting in the work and like actually trying to make it happen. So talk about that real quick. Like why do you feel like real estate is like that and other industries aren't? Yeah, I mean you you hit the nail on the head. It was if you continue to do the right actions, right? You know, a lot of people come to me like, "Hey Austin, like uh, I'm I'm not having success. You know, this sucks. I'm getting ready to quit." I'm like, "Okay, cool. Like what are you doing?" Like, well, I'm trying to buy a house. Cool. How many offers have you made? Well, five. Well, how long have you been doing it for? A month. I'm like, go put in 16 months of going. I, during that 16, right? I was valeting cars, taking 15 credit hours. I was driving to houses almost daily and writing offers as an MLS agent. And I was handwriting uh, back in the day, nine years ago, direct mail worked like tremendously, still works a little bit today, but I was handwriting envelopes. I would invite my friends over to the house during the NBA playoffs to watch the game. And then I would buy a Little Caesars $5 pizza and then put them in the basement of my parents' house and then ask them to help me write envelopes and send out direct mail. Uh, so, you know, it, it's a grind. But if you continue to put in the work and take the right actions and make the phone calls and make the offers and do the sales and et cetera, et cetera, real estate works, right? We're not trying to land on Mars like Elon Musk. That's an if, right? You know, hopefully it turns into a win, but it's an if right now. But real estate is, is a fact, right? It's created the most millionaires ever of all time. So it's not, a, it's not an if game. And when you remove the if, from your brain. And it's hard to do because I, it's a lot of fear, right? It's a lot of uncertainty. But if you remove the if, like it becomes very simple. It's when, cool, I'm down. Like you sign me up six months, 12 months, 18 months. I'm going to continue doing this until you get a break. I had a student of mine and they messaged me like, man, like this sucks. You know, I'm six months in, I haven't got my deal. And I was like, listen, like it, it's a buildup on the first one. But when that first one hits, it's a snowball effect. And like literally like two weeks later, got their first deal a month after that, got like two or three more deals and just started crushing it. It's, I don't know what it is, but like that first deal is the hardest. And then it's just it's, it's a snowball from there. I love it. I love it so much. So then, OK, so you're known for raising other people's money. Did you say you raised all of the money for your first flip? Correct. Yep. So how'd you do that? I mean, that might be the most common question you get ever, but that's really interesting. I even have a mindset barrier here where I would think, okay, your first one, it's going to be insanely hard to raise private money because you've never done it before. I've heard people doing it a lot. Once they've done like way more flips, then people are like, okay, your capital is safe. Right. <laughs> so talk to us about that. How'd you raise money up for your first flip? Yeah. So when I first joined that uh, original coaching program, um, I ended up going to like all the networking events and everything to like learn as much as possible. And while I was there, I met a lady. Uh, I didn't know her at the time. We just connected. Hey, what are you doing? She, I'm trying to get into real estate. She was like, hey, I'm trying to get into real estate, too. You know, I have a self-directed IRA that I'm going to use to invest in my own deals. I was like, oh, that's awesome. You know, wish you the best of luck. We exchanged numbers. Life went on. A year later, I ended up getting this first deal. And uh, I didn't have the money for it. So I started calling around and I was like, let me give her a call. And I called her, asked how things were doing. They were like, hey, you know, I'm still trying to get my first deal. And I presented the opportunity to her to lend the money with me on this deal. 
And um, so one, she we came through the same program. So she knew that I was educated in the right way because we were learning the same things. Right. So that's one thing I actually ended up asking her like a few years ago. I was like, why'd you give me money? And one, one of the reasons was um, because I was educated. I knew what I was talking about because I came through the same thing that they did. Um, so education definitely helped me on that. And then we structured it in a, in a, in a couple different ways to give uh, protection to the lender. Um, so one of the things that I did, so they obviously got a mortgage on the property. That's a given. Um, they got a promissory note. But in the state of Ohio, you can do something that's called a cognovit promissory note. So if I was able to if I defaulted on the loan, instead of having to go through the foreclosure process, I waived all my rights day one. So it alleviated a lot of the extra legwork that she would have had to gone through if I defaulted and got foreclosed on. Um, so that was an extra level uh, of uh, a barrier, I guess. And then the other thing is we escrowed the rehab money. So now when I borrow, you know, if I'm borrowing 150 for a purchase and 50 for a rehab, I'm borrowing 200 grand. The seller's getting 150 on the purchase and I'm getting in my bank account $50,000 for the rehab. The problem is I can take that $50,000 and go to Cancun and never come back. Right. So there's a little bit of risk with a lender when you structure it that way. So on that deal and the first couple of deals with her, um, we ended up escrowing it. So the rehab funds were staying in escrow with the title company. And then I drew the funds out as the project comp uh, continuously got got renovated. Um, so those are a couple of barriers that we put in place uh, that, that made her more comfortable. I like it. I think the main key one that people should get is it was through an education program. I feel like that's the biggest why more than anything else. Yeah. So talk about education for a second. This is something that's a really common theme with all the people I've had on this podcast at this point. I've had pretty big hit hitters like Ken Clothier, Baseball Beach, Jamil Damji, all these people, right? And they all talk about education being like the key to their success. Yep. Um, how do you feel like somebody, like what type of education programs should somebody get generally? How do you vet people? How do you know which ones is the right one? There's millions of them, right? There's so many with real estate. It's ridiculous at this point. Um, and how do you, let's, let's start there. I don't want to overwhelm you with questions. Like how do you find a really good education program and how do you vet the person leading it? Yeah, no, I, I think education is key. You know, so ever since that first uh, coach, I've had a coach every year for the last nine years, usually multiple coaches within a year. I spend 50 to a hundred thousand dollars a year on education. So definitely a believer in it. I, like you said, I feel like everybody at a high level feels the same. Um, so as far as like how to find them, social media, there's so many of them. Like you can swipe 10 times on social media and you can probably find somebody that's a coach. Um, so finding them is the easy part. Um, now, there's two things that come with that. One, you got to you got to vibe with them. Right. You're going to be watching a lot of videos with them. You're going to be on calls with them. You know, if you don't connect, um, it's going to be very difficult for you to learn in a, in a positive manner. Um, so one, like make sure that you can connect with the individual. Um, and then two, you have to see the proof. Right. The proof is in the pudding. Um, you know, unfortunately, in today's world, you can post something that you're doing, that you're crushing it. Um, and maybe you've only done one deal or two deals or three deals. Right. Um, so, you know, there's a, there's a saying, it's like, show me the hood. Um, so like you can tell on social media, if it's all super surface level type of content, like eh, maybe they did, maybe they didn't do something, but if they're walking houses, if they're showing deposits, if they're showing HUDs, if they're talking about construction, if they're talking about moving money around, you know, people that haven't done it, can't talk about those things. So it's, it's hard to like ask a coach, like, Hey, show me your bank account and send me 20 of your HUDs. Cause it's like, it's like, that's a little bit weird. Um, but I, I mean, that's one way to get proof. I've never done that. But like, you can typically tell when somebody's actually talking, how deep they're going into the content. Um, we'll tell you how, how knowledgeable they actually are on the subject. Makes sense. And then so like, how do you utilize like, because you obviously you did more than just do the, the real estate course or mentorship that up that one, you like actually network with people and like kept a Rolodex, how do you like effectively network to be able to do things like raise private money for your flip or like, I don't know, do all sorts of cool things? Like how do you, how does one effectively network in those groups? Maybe even at meetups, if it's the same applicable, just like, how do you, how do you utilize your Rolodex to be able to, to get real estate deals done? For sure. This may uh, be unbelievable to some, but I hate the camera. I'm, I'm an introvert. 
Like I, I am not the per- type of person that likes to go out and talk to people. But if people see me on social media, they're like, oh, he talks to everybody because I forced myself on purpose to do that. Right. I know the power of networking. I know the power of building a brand on social media. I know the power of making content. So there's some people watching this that are sitting there like, well, you know, I don't really like talking to people. Me neither. Like we're in the same exact boat. Right. Um, so it's just something you got to get past. Like I remember walking into rooms and I, literally like I would walk in, people would be there and I would just get like flushed with red and start sweating. And I, I just drove to the event, right? And I would walk in the door and I would look and like a couple people would like look at me because I opened the door and I would turn around and leave and drive home. Like it, it was bad. Like I hated networking. I hated talking. I hated putting myself out there at the uh, high school, uh, you know, prom and homecoming. I would literally stand in the corner against the wall. I don't want to go out there and dance. I don't want people looking at like nothing. So I just want to print that picture. If that's you thinking that, I, I promise you, I've been in the same shoes that you have, right? I just know the benefit on the other side. Uh, so that's number one. But uh, number two, now that I know that, literally talk to everybody, right? And it, I come from a purpose, a place of uh, value. You know, if you come to somebody and it's an immediate ask, like it's, it's going to be turned off. Like when people come to me like, hey, I need this, I need that. I'm like, I don't know you. Why would I give you that? You know what I mean? Um, like I'm here to help, but like don't come with a, a crazy expectation of me. But if somebody comes to me like, yo, bro, I love your content. I saw you post about this. You know, how can I help? I'll, you know, respond, I'll read it and I'll give feedback on that. So when you come with value to somebody, um, like you said at the beginning of the show, you know, raising money is an opportunity, not an ask. That's value, by the way. Um, So value is huge. Um, And early on in my career, I went to every single networking event imaginable, Uh, probably every night of the week, at least five nights a week, I was at a networking event. Um, One, to learn and two, to network, right? I've met uh, the first lady that lent me money there, um, one of my biggest private money lenders that's lent me many, 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 many millions of dollars at a networking event. Um, when I started hosting my own events, I raised a ton of money from those events. Um, I, I bought, bought a ton of deals from those. Um, it's it, it's crazy, but it's so simple that your network can literally like multiply your business uh, just by knowing the right people. So, yeah. No, I love it. Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, it's literally, I would, I don't know, I don't think it would be even possible without some networking. I don't no. think it's possible to do like real estate in general, or or really any business. I mean, you, you at some point have to talk to people. Um, Brent Daniels is a mentor of mine. And like, that's what he called it. That's his whole thing, TTP. Um, I think people can do it differently depending on whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. But at some point, you got to talk to somebody in order to get a deal done. Right. Um, so I don't know if you said this, but like, what were your fears when you were raising the money? I mean, being an introvert, it sounds like you were cold calling people to raise that money, right? More or less, you were just looking through your phone being like, all right, I'm gonna call every person in here, see who has money, right? Like, how did you overcome being an introvert and talking to people? Like, do you have any methods? Like, is it meditation or something? There's a lot of introverts watching right now who will want to know how, how do you do that? How do you as an introvert just get over it and start talking to people? Great question. Uh, one uh, early on. Um, so manifestations is, is the short answer to it. And one of mine went probably, I don't know, seven, eight years ago when I started, I was like, all right, let me start doing this manifesting thing. And one of them is I, 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 when I walk into any room, I know I bring value. I carry my shoulders high and I know I bring value in any room. So I know that that was a fear of mine walking into a room and like not being the guy, like not doing any deals. Like, why am I here? Right. Um, So I said that to myself every single day um, continuously. And then I started walking into rooms with a little bit taller and carrying a little bit more value into those rooms. Now walking any room. Right. Because it's just it's ingrained in me now. Um, So manifesting and saying those what affirmations, that's the word. Um, Doing those affirmations um, definitely helped me with that for sure. Um, and like another secret is specifically to raising money. When I network with people now, um, you have to like listen to what people are saying to see if they're a good potential of raising money. But in my phone, like I'll save contacts and it'll be their name. And then after it'll be PML, private money lender. Um, so anytime I have to go on a money raising spree, I just type in PML and start burning through the call log. Um, so that's just like a secret hack. But as far as getting over, you know, that fear of talking, um affirmations was huge for me um and i mean that's the biggest one i mean the other one is just knowing like it literally everything comes from my my uh bankers on refis came from networking 
A lot of my contractors came from networking. A lot of my deal flow came from networking. A lot of my private money lenders came from networking. Um, I'm, I'm hopefully going into contract on a 10 unit apartment building in the next couple of days came from networking. I bought a 16,000 square foot warehouse came from networking. I bought an 18, 18 house portfolio for 3.1 million. It appraised for 5.7, six months later with less than a hundred thousand dollars of work, two and a half million dollars of equity came from networking. I got to give you a deal after uh, example, after example, after example, the power of going out and talking to people. Like it, it's insane, especially in today's world, again, because social media is so big and so pronounced that like you have to go out there and you have to talk to people. I love it. So let's talk about what were those affirmations? Like, what did you do? Like, people know the words affirmations, but what does that mean? Like, in practice, what were you doing, especially at the beginning? Yeah, so I had them taped to my mirror. So it was printed out in the corner of my mirror. So every time I brush my teeth in the morning and the evening, I would read through my affirmations. And so affirmations can be something that um, you may be seeing yourself um, as a, uh, I don't want to say fault, but as a, as a not the strongest ability that you have. To me, it was confidence. It was walking into the room, right? So some of my affirmations were like that and then tied in with manifesting. Some of them were like visualizing yourself in what it is that you want. Like before I ever had a Rolls Royce, I visualized myself driving the Rolls Royce, right? I custom built a house at 24 and it had everything that I wanted. I had a weight room in the basement, I had a three car garage, I had a basketball hoop outside, I had a walk in shower with a bathtub inside of it because I visualized myself walking into that every single morning for years before I ever built that thing. Uh, so the short answer, it was literally taped on the mirror in my bedroom, in my bathroom, and I would read it to myself out loud confidently um, every morning and every night when I brush my teeth. Gotcha. Love it. So that's smart. So like basically tape some affirmations to your mirror. You just, and then talk about, because I feel like here's the thing with affirmations that I've noticed with some people, some people read them, but like don't really believe them. Right. right. I feel like people a lot of time write affirmations and say them. And then that like that, they just say them aloud and expect magic to happen, but they're not like internalizing it. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody dealt, deal with this before, but like talk about like, you how you have to actually believe what you're saying too, like for it to actually change any behavior right you talk about like how you know of anybody who's dealt with that or if you dealt with that yourself 100 uh, percent. i was about to say me like i so early on i i was making some money and i had a little bit of success um, when i was young but i had some confidence but i never like truly truly genuinely believed in myself so when I would say those things, like I would say it because it sounded good, but like wholeheartedly deep down, like I don't know if I truly genuinely believed it. And um, one day, and this goes to another thing in business and in life, surrounding yourself with the right people. Um, I was going to uh, play basketball, um, just like a pickup game. And I walked into the gym and I was walking down like the sideline to get to the court. And uh, there's a guy, I had no idea who he was, but there's two guys sitting on the side. And as I walked by, the guy was telling his friend, he was like, yeah, I just wholesaled this house. And I was like, obviously, I know what wholesaling is. So immediately, without a second, I turned to him and introduced myself. Like, again, fear. A lot of people wouldn't randomly introduce themselves to somebody just sitting on a bench. Right. Uh, but without a hesitation, I was like, boom, my name's Austin. How are you? And uh, we connected. Right. We talked about real estate. We talked about wholesaling. Um, he ended up hitting me up later. He was like newer into the game and I was like a couple years into the game. So I had a little bit more experience. Um, he hit it on me later. He's like, Hey, let me take you to lunch. I'd love to network with you. Went to lunch. He paid for it. Uh, he's one of my best friends today. He was the best man on my wedding a few months ago. And I wow. say all this to say like, up until that time, I didn't really, really believe in myself. Right. That day when I connected with him, I don't know why, but over the next like six, 12, 18 months, he saw something in me that I never saw in myself. And like, he would just hype me up. He'd be like, yo, man, like you the man, you crushing it. Like, go do your thing. Walk in there with confidence. And again, I, he saw something that I didn't see at the time. And that maybe single-handedly gave me the confidence to continue to grow and build what I'm doing today. So it goes back to the power of the people you surround yourself with. Like they can bring you up or they can tear you down, right? So you need people in your corner that support you and motivate you. So to tie this all together, what gave me that extra ability was actually having the confidence within myself, which came from having the right people in my circle. I like that. So obviously the follow-up question is how do you find the right people in your circle? Do you go up to random people at basketball courts or like, what do you, what do you feel like you should be doing? You know, <laughs> I, th I think it goes back to like networking events, right? You know, I, I lucked out, you know, just randomly being at a basketball court, but to be fair, I spoke, 
right? A lot of people have that moment in life, but they don't speak up, right? Somebody walking down the street. And when I was valeting cars, every single person that drove in with a nice car, Lambo, Ferrari, Rolls Royce, like any, even a Range Rover, like anything nice. I was like, yo, what do you do? Right. I was just asking questions to people because I wanted to know what successful people did. So, yes, it's lucky I met him at a basketball court, but I spoke. Right. You speak up and magically things start happening. Um, but a lot of the people, uh, a lot of my best friends came from networking events and masterminds uh, because those people are on the same path as you. Right. I don't I don't have many friends from high school. Uh, very, very few that are still around from high school. All of my friends and all the people I hang with now came from uh, most of them are in real estate or some sort of entrepreneurship. So I ha you need to go out there and go to these events to meet people that are on the same same wavelength as you. So, you know, if they're at a, uh, you know, event that's talking about buying multifamily, they're trying to grow. They're trying to be better. You're trying to grow. You're trying to be better. Right. And if you talk to these people, you're not going to connect with everybody. Like everybody's not built for everyone. Right. But if you talk to enough people, you're going to end up building a relationship with somebody to then, you know, start hanging out with and becoming a friend with. And now you got instead of talking about, you know, going to the club on Friday night, now you're talking about how to build a business and how to buy real estate. Right. When I make phone calls to people now, it's like, all right, cool. How do we grow? What's working for you? How's this going? What type of ads are you running? You know, what type of loans are you getting on real estate? You know, what's your interest rate? Because we're trying to grow and we're trying to build something. Um, and again, 95 percent of the people I, I hang out with now are people that came from either networking events or masterminds um, or just I guess technically it'd be a networking event. I was going to say in the business, but the only way I meet them in the business is through networking and networking events. So that's where it all came from. Gotcha. Love it. So then, okay, I want to talk, I want to keep on this topic. I like this topic a lot because I've been doing, I've been going to networking events. I've been speaking at a few meetups that like a lot of my friends have been putting on. And I've been talking a lot about this, about the three questions that people should ask themselves when mm -hmm. they're going to networking events. Like, what are you, what do you want? Who has what you want? And what are you going to do to give overwhelming value to that person? Right. Yeah. So similar to what you said, add some sort of value, right? If I'm someone who's new and I've never done a deal before, how in the world am I going to add value to somebody like Austin or Jonah? Like, how am I going to add value to anyone who's there if I've never done anything? Great question. And there's there's never like a one size fits all. Right. Um, I'll give you one story about um, a kid that I so I ended up speaking at my entrepreneurship. My, the the teacher that's taught entrepreneurship at my high school, I went back to teach at that classroom years after I was into the business. Um, and there was a kid there. Uh, he was, I don't know, 17, 18 years old at the time. Um, and like I could tell he was like into what I was saying. Right. One of very few people in the classroom. Um, and then a year later, I actually went to speak again. He happened to be in the classroom again. And after that, like he again, if you just people come to me all the time, they're like, hey, man, like if you need anything, just let me know. I'm like, all right, cool. Like, thanks. And like it happens all the time. But he texted me and said the same thing. And I was like, all right, thanks. And then he followed up two weeks later. He's like, hey, man, I just got off of work. It's three o'clock. If you need anything, I'm free the rest of the night. I was like, nah, I'm good. And two weeks later, he texted me again. He's like, hey, just letting you know this weekend, I'm free. If you need anything, just let me know. I was like, I'm good. He did that for like months. And I was like, nope, 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 nope. Because for me, like if I take something, I feel like I have to return the value, right? So I was just like, no, 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 no. And then one day, consistency, consistently following up, he hit me up. He's like, hey, bro, I'm free. If you need anything, let me know. And I just bought um, an office building and I was doing a, um, a co-working space in it. And I just had all the tables, all the chairs, everything delivered in boxes. And they need all needed put together, right? And I was like, I, I was sitting there. I was like, I do not feel like doing this. I was going to get my team to help me do it. But it was a Friday. I was like, oh, this is going to suck, right? And it was like 50 chairs. Like, it was a lot. And uh, he hit me up and I was like, yeah, I need help. And it, immediately he was there, brought tools and he went, he worked the whole weekend um, expecting nothing in return, put everything together. And ever since then, like he's been rocking, I've been rocking with him for, I, I don't know, four years now, three years now. Uh, but he's came to all my masterminds and meetups for free. Um, he's actually in one of the offices for free right now. I'm giving him all the game. I, I've, I've done everything in my power to help him because he added value to me on the front end in a genuine way of adding value and not expecting anything in return. So there's never like a one size fits all of how you can help someone, but like find a way to stand out. Right. You know, one thing that I do is like I try to give like special gifts like this elevate sign behind me. 
I've sent not not the Elevate sign, but I've gotten people's logos um, and sent these signs to them. So depending on like the size and everything, these are five hundred dollars, thousand dollars, two thousand dollars. And it's a very um, impactful gift. Right. It's not just like a random journal. Like These are something somebody's going to hang in their office and going to think of me every time that they do it. Right. So I'm not saying start with a thousand dollar gift, but like find something that can stand out. Right. Find their be- you know favorite baseball team or, or basketball or whatever it is. Find something that's different and add value in that way. Um, but unfortunately, it's not like one size fits all. Now, if you have a deal, like, yeah, everybody wants a deal. People hit me up all the time. They're like, hey, bro, how can we how can we do something together? I was like, bring me a deal. Let's work. Like, that's a very easy way to get into the game and build relationships is by, you know, wholesaling deals or partnering on deals. Um, but outside of that, it's just finding a different way to, to add value to people. I absolutely love that story. That's a genius, gosh darn answer to give to someone is like, honestly, like, just keep following. If there's someone you truly connect with, you're truly trying to do business with, keep following up with them forever. Like, how long How long was that kid following up with you? Months. Like, how many months? You'd be like, like well, maybe at four least or five three. months? Maybe three. At least three? Yeah. Yeah. And it I wasn't like, like an annoying thing either. It wasn't like every week, like, hey, 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 hey. It was genuine, right? And it worked. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's great. I feel like that's a great way to do it. And then, like, like all you and me could use this where it's just like, you know what? There will be a time where I need someone to randomly do something. There was something like, I'll tell a story too, where like I had a guy at a real estate event who really wanted to get into wholesaling. And I kind of needed some bandit signs put up for, I have this house I'm selling on seller finance. And a lot of times that's one of the main ways my friends have sold it. I'm like, man, I really don't want to put up bandit signs. I feel like I'm better than that at this point maybe that's coffee but but like i and then he and then he was like yeah i'll do that for you and then he just did it and i'm like wow that's awesome right and now i'm talking to him and we might be doing more deals soon right so guys like i love that because i think it's really hard for people to be creative because really what i've been telling people is creatively add value but i really like the idea of like if you don't have anything right now just keep consistently following up with the person until they actually have something for you to do. I really, I just love that advice. That was a, that was a good gem right there. And, and, um, and w- once the ask finally comes, like be prepared for it, right? He, I'm sure he didn't want to sit in an office building Friday, Saturday, and Sunday putting together chairs, right? Like, it's not an, an, a fun thing to do. Like I'm sure he had other plans at, during the weekend, right? But like when the ask came, he did it. And like, that's my dog now, like, that's my brother. He can call me for anything and I'm there for him. Right. So like do that consistently. But when the ask comes, like make sure you can perform. Assuming it's not like, hey, you know, drive to Canada or something. Right. Assuming it's like a reasonable ask, just be prepared to perform to to uh, to perform on it. No, I love it. So, OK, so let's go back to your story a little bit. Your you do your first flip. You make one hundred seven thousand dollars. What next happens? Like what's the what where does your real estate journey start going from there? Yeah. So um, I went back to college taking 15 credit hours. I went back to valet and cars working 50, 40, 50, 50, 60 hours a week. Um, and I went back to trying to get my next deal. And it took me a couple months to get my ne- And by the way, I reinvested every single penny back into the business. I didn't take a vacation. I didn't go out to dinner. I didn't buy a pair of sneakers. I didn't go and pop bottles. Like I, when I say I invested every single penny back into the business, every single penny went back into the business because a hundred grand, one deal doesn't change your life, right? A hundred grand sounds like a lot of money, especially if it's your first deal. You're gonna be, it's gonna be gone in the next couple of months, right? If you go out and start splurging, like you can spend a hundred grand very, very quickly, right? So I yeah. knew that that one deal, that hundred thousand, was not going to change my life long term. So I went back to doing what I did because it was one deal. I was like, is this a fluke, right? Does this thing actually work? Uh, so it took me a couple more months to get my next deal, a couple months to sell it. Um, so made about $40,000 on that deal. So in like a four or five month period, I made $150,000 in real estate. And I was like, all right, this is the second deal. Like this works. It's not a fluke. And I had my third house in contract to buy at that time. I was like, all right, this is cool. So then I quit my job. I went to my mom. I was like, hey, my like, you're never going to see me walk across the graduation stage. And uh, she was like, no, I get it. Like, she's been, my parents have been super supportive of me the entire way. They're like, I get it. I wouldn't expect anything different. Dropped out of college, uh, went all in on real estate. Um, and it was just kind of like a slow, you know, incline. You know, the first year obviously was zero. Second year was like two or three. Third year was like seven. Fourth year was like 25. Um, so wait, let's talk about that real quick. So you, 
Because I want to understand. You said year one was zero. So was yeah. that you were still doing the valet college stuff and you were trying to do it for a year before you got your first deal? Is that right? Yeah. So from the day I invested into the coaching program to the day I, to the day I made money was 16 months. It took me gotcha. 10 months to buy the first deal and then six months to buy, renovate and sell it. So it was a 16 month period of zero income, uh, but it was 10 months of, of nothing. And then I finally got that first deal. And what do you feel like, what do you feel like makes someone, because there are people who I've heard who've gotten it within two months, which is insanely quick. Then there are people, I feel like you can tell me what you think about this, whether you, you feel like this is the average. I feel like average is if they're like full-time doing it is like four to five months is usually what I hear. Yep. I was going to say three to six. Three to six. Yep. And then like eight months, 10 months a year. If they're especially like you weren't doing it full time too, that's probably what you'll say is kind of the reason. But if I started hearing like a year and you've been doing full time and you haven't gotten a deal, then there's like issues like you're just not doing it right. What do you what do you feel like are the variables that can change someone from getting it to like a two month thing or a four month thing versus like an eight to year long thing? Yeah. So the funny thing is like I was putting in enough time for it to be full time and it still took me 16 months, which uh, well, technically it took 10 to, to get the first deal. So I guess it was less than a year. But the thing is, at the time, I learned real estate to flip houses using other people's money. At the time, I didn't know what wholesaling was. So I'm sure I passed up on a lot of deals that other people thought were amazing deals, which I could have wholesaled and made a lot of money on. But I just I was I was like, hey, I need to flip a house with other people's money. So I was running numbers for me. Obviously, they were conservative because I didn't want to lose money. So I think that played into it taking so long as well. So now, obviously, I know what wholesaling is. A lot of people know what wholesaling is. It's an amazing, amazing way to get into the business and make money fast because there's no risk. There's no money. You don't got to buy anything. All you do is flip paper. Right. Um, So to your answer, though. What's the difference? So I, I say people start in real estate in two ways. They either have a lot of money and not much time or a lot of time and not much money. Um, so if you have a lot of money and not much time, yeah, you can get a deal quick. You can throw a lot of money at it. You can hire a bunch of cold callers. You can hire, hire a salesperson. I'm not saying you can do it profitably, but you can do a deal very quickly because you just throw money at it. Um, now, if how I started, if you started out broke and a lot of time, um, you know, uh, the fastest way in my opinion, to get a deal is drive for dollars, door knock and or cold call because you're getting straight to the decision maker like right away. And the reason you drive for dollars and door knock is because you're typically going after distressed houses. So if you're going after distressed property and you're immediately talking to the decision maker, like that's a very fast way to get a deal. Right. The problem is that isn't that is not scalable. You know, you can maybe do one, five, 10 deals a year on that, but you can't do 100 deals a year, you know, driving for dollars, you just door knocking, right? There's just not enough opportunity that way. Um, So at some point you have to scale, have a team, do bigger marketing. But by far the easiest, in my opinion, the easiest, fastest way to get into a deal is drive for dollars, door knock. If you, you know, if you got the courage to, um, if not, you know, skip trace and cold call those people um, and try to get your first deal under their belt. You know, if, if you want to, flip it like I did and you have access to capital, that's great, right? Like I could have probably wholesaled that house, made 20, 30 grand and, you know, and made great money instead of a hundred grand. But like, I, I just learned to flip houses using other people's money. So that's what I was going to do. Um, so if you have access to capital, maybe think about flipping it, but if not, you know, wholesale it, make some money and, and move on to the next. I like it. So then what, um, so you start with that course, you're very, stuck on the flipping other people's money how do you how do you start learning about these other things like wholesaling commercial whatever it is yeah so um i was flipping houses using other people's money and i I bought like so remember i bought the first duplex way before and i got into real estate with the idea of passive residual income like that sounded great money continuously without working but then the problem is is i got caught flipping houses right because when you flip houses or, or or wholesale you make a lot of money very quickly, right? And it's addicting, right? You chase this endless number. Like I remember the first time I made a hundred grand in a month, like that was a goal, like a hundred thousand in a month. I was like, this would be incredible. And then I hit it and then I hit it again and again. And I was like, all right, 200 a month. And then I hit it and again and again. And I was like 300 a month. And then I hit it and again. And I was like, you can literally chase this number forever, right? Literally for the rest of your life, you can chase a number because it will never stop. And I woke up five years into the business 
what I say, still on a hamster wheel, flipping houses, wholesaling houses, building new construction, making money today. Yeah, I bought some rentals, maybe like 10, 15 rentals or something over that five year stretch, but flipped, wholesaled and new constructed hundreds of houses. And I woke up one day and uh, I had a friend. We started real estate at the same time. We was actually in the same uh, realtor class. We both got our license to start. Um, and when he started, he started out buying houses and essentially burying them, keeping them as long-term rental properties. And when I started out, I started out flipping houses using other people's money, right? So my business was mainly flipping with a little bit of rentals. His business was mainly rentals with a little bit of flipping. And early on in our careers, I made a lot, I had a lot more money than he did, right? Because I was making money today. You know, I was making 20, 40, 60, $80,000 a house. He was making a hundred dollars a month. So I had a lot more money. And then... I woke up this day, five years into the game, and uh, he was uh, in my—he was one of the best men in my in in my wedding as well. So we talk all the time, and um, called him. I was like, "Yo, bro, like, what's going on? Talk to me." He's like, "Yeah, man, I just refied some houses." I was like, "All right, cool. Like, what is that? Like, what what were the numbers on it?" And he—I forget the exact numbers, but he was like, "I, I just refied like thirty houses." He had like a hundred and some at the time, so a small portion portion of his portfolio. I refied thirty of them. I paid off ten of them. So immediately there's $10,000 a month in passive residual income just off of that one thing, right? And he said, I re-leveraged the other 20. So that's probably another couple thousand dollars a month. So just that alone, he just created 10 to $15,000 a month for the rest of his life, minimum. I was like, all right, that sounds great. He's like, and I pulled out a million dollars tax-free on top of that. I was like, huh? Because a million dollars tax free is very different than a million dollars in income, right? It's yeah. really like a million and a half because you're going to pay half, you know, a third of it in taxes. So you have to make a million and a half dollars to make to net a million. So he pulled out a million tax free. At that time, I've never made a million dollars in my career, like in a year. I've never made a million dollars. I was like, come again. And he broke it down to me again. I was like, all right. The next day I went into my office and I inverted the business. We were 90% flips, 10% rentals. The next day we went to 90% rentals, 10% flips. Because I was real, I realized I was on a hamster wheel of life. I was chasing the next deal and the next deal and the next deal and the next deal. And I was five years into this and I was doing the same exact thing I was doing five years prior. And I don't want to do that anymore. So that about three years ago, two and a half, three years ago is when that you know changed. Um, and I started buying basically all rental properties. So yeah, we flip a little bit. If it doesn't cash flow, we'll flip it. But if it cash flows today, we're 100% keeping it as a rental property every single time. Um, so over the years, it just it's kind of grown. Like it was flipping houses. Then I saw a new construction development opportunity. So I went through and bought a, a ton of lots at like five, ten thousand dollars a pop. I was the first one to build new construction, made a hundred thousand dollars. I built three off rip to uh, make the market. Um, didn't know if it was going to work or not, uh, made a hundred thousand dollars net plus on each of those. Um, and then I already had the, um, uh, what's it called? I already had the inventory. So kept building, um, then just started set flipping lots cause they went up so much in value. Um, and then that led me to buying a bunch of rental properties. I love it. I love the story. I mean, I'm kind of, I'm in your five year phase right now. I'm three yep. years into the business. Yep. So I love wholesaling houses. That's mainly what I do. I flipped a few. And I own a few rentals, right? But yeah, I get it, man. Like the the tax free part is the crazy part with owning real estate. It's yeah. like when you start learning about depreciation, um, be using getting debt money instead of income money. So then it's like, wait a minute, all of that money was for free. So that's yep. straight to me, right? So I'm starting to get more into owning rentals and going into multifamily is like my main goal right now. I like the scale of that more. Um, but no, I get it. I'm just saying I, I, I see what you I'm, I'm starting to make that transition myself, where it's like, I think I'll own a wholesaling business. And then also, like when it's those good ones, I'm going to take them right and like keep them. So, so uh, two, two things, two points I want to make. I'm going to tell you to remind me because I might forget the second one, but one is um, burring and doing the, the tax on it. Um, and then the other one, oh, is what I just said is like, hey, Austin, that sounds great, but I need to make money to live on. Right. Right. So when I initially made that transfer, um, I, I couldn't go 100% rentals because I still had an operation. We were essentially running a wholesale business at the time. I was just the buyer. Like I bought 90% of the deals and then we sold the other, wholesaled the other ones. So I still had marketing. I still had a sales team. I still had all that stuff. So I couldn't just like stop that and not have any incomes that I had people to pay. Um, so what I did is I figured out, and this is what anybody can do, right? 
as I figured out my monthly expenses, um, and let's say, you know, it was $30,000 a month to pay my team, to pay rent, to pay marketing. Um, and this is the key and paying yourself a comfortable salary, right? I'm not talking about going and balling out, right? But something comfortably, so you don't have to, you know, penny pinch, but you don't got to fly first class everywhere at this time, right? So figure out what that monthly expense is. It's called $30,000 uh, a month, right? And then you want to make a profit, obviously, right? So add another 10 or $20,000 a month to that. You know, if you add 20, now you're at 50,000 a month, you'll make a quarter million dollars net profit after paying everybody. So 50 grand is the number. So go out there and flip and wholesale and make 50 grand, right? If that's one deal or five deals a month, go make your $50,000. But then everything after that, then keep those as rental properties. Problem that I did is I hit that number and then kept hitting the number bigger and bigger and bigger, right? Instead of doing, you know, wholesale and flipping 10 houses a month, I could have done four and then kept six rental properties a month on top of that, right? So that's the only thing I would have done slightly different, but that's like an actual implementation that somebody can do to stop, to get off the hamster wheel and start actually building wealth through the ownership of rental properties. Um, so that's one thing. And then the second thing is when you really understand the game of taxes, um, doing what I just said makes more sense, right? So I don't have numbers in front of me, but just for an example, let's say, you know, a house you're buying for a hundred grand and it's worth 200, right? And it needs $20,000 of work. And you could probably, if you're wholesaling that deal, you could probably wholesale it for and make a $30,000 fee, right? So the cost purchase and rehab is 120. You know, you can probably wholesale it to be all in at 150. It's worth 200. So you can make a $30,000 assignment fee today, right? So you take the $30,000, not, not you, but like anybody listening to this, you know, takes the $30,000, moves on. Great. 30 grand is amazing, right? Like it's a phenomenal feeling when you cash $30,000 in the bank account. But after taxes, it's going to be 20000 right? So you're really only taking home $20,000. So look at it this way. Let's say that same $100,000 deal that you could have wholesaled and made thirty grand. let us say you buy it now for 100 and put 20 into it yourself. So it's $120,000 cost, right? Add fees, add interest. Let's say you're all in for 130, right? Let's say 135. So you're all in for $135,000 on this deal. You go to the bank, you cash out 75% of 200. So you take out 150, you're in for 135. So you pull out $15,000 tax free. And people don't want to do that because they're making $30,000 in profit. But again, after taxes, you're only making 20. So you can take the assignment fee and make $20,000 net, or you can keep it as a rental and make 15, essentially the same amount of money and own the asset long term to continuously start to continue to build wealth. So when you really understand like the real numbers, behind, and obviously that's an example, you know, that's a perfect scenario. So obviously numbers change. But when you really understand like the tax game on the backside, it's not about how much you make. It's about how much you keep. And sometimes you can actually keep the asset and basically make the same amount of money to your bottom line. I love it. So I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I'm I'm going to defend wholesaling real quick, just uh -huh. real quick with like the wholesaling versus the owning. And it's not even necessarily wholesaling versus owning. I think it it all depends on the state and like where you do it, too, because I wholesale sure. in California. Oh, right. Yeah. And I also <laughs> so like the numbers are never going to cash flow. Right. Yep. To Colorado, there's some more. I've just started opening up in Colorado. I've been owning more re rentals here. Yeah. But. I want to ask you, let's say even for any market, this is like a question, right? Because this is how I think about it. And I want you to challenge it because you obviously figured it out. Property management is a whole nother business, right? Sure. It's not like you just get the house and then it magically spits out money every month. There's like sure. toilets, there's tenants and all of stuff like that. How do you feel like you know when you're ready to deal with another business? Because owning rentals is another business, right? Like, I guess, like, how do you feel like, you know, when you're ready to start another business? Because I consider owning rentals another business and it's a good business to be in. Right. And how do you how do you operate that? Do you have any partners or anything like that? And like, like, yeah, like, how would you answer those questions for us? That's a phenomenal point. I, I would never own in like Cali, New York, uh, South Florida, like one, the state laws you got to be cautious of, which is like Cali and New York. And then cash flow is like Florida because like prices are too high. So, yes, like there's definitely certain states. That, luckily, I was in Ohio. That's where I was born and raised. And it's a great place to own rentals. Uh, but that definitely plays a part for sure. And then also cash flow. It has to, for me, it has to cash flow positively. I'll never buy an asset that negatively cash flows because the only reason an individual or a business goes bankrupt is from lack of cash flow. So those are two great, great points that you made there. 
Um, but as far as like, you know, when to make that pivot. Um, so even to today, I have third party property management that manages uh, my rental properties. And people ask me all the time. They're like, man, like you, you trust them. You know, you, like they're actually doing good for you. And for me, like I'm not living on my rental income today. So like I don't to this day, I've never personally withdrawn money from that bank account ever. Right. And I've owned a lot of properties for a long time and I've never done it because like I don't need the income. Right. I have other businesses. I still flip some houses. I have other businesses going that makes me money still as well. Um, So is my property management company maximizing the returns? No. Like I know they're not going to treat the asset like I do. You know, we just had one. It took three months to turn the to turn the property over. So like, am I maximizing every single penny? Definitely not. Right. Am I at least breaking even or making some money? Yes. Right. So for me, it's really for me, it's not another business because I don't manage it, um, which gives me the time to go and continue to build businesses that give me the cash flow. Uh, So to me, like the rental properties is like a long term wealth play. Uh, but I, I literally in the last like week, uh, it's funny we're having this conversation now. Um, I've been highly, highly, highly uh, thinking about, you know, maybe switching managers or bringing it in house. And but I don't want to bring it in house because, like you said, it's a whole nother business you have to manage. And they're like, well, just hire a manager. I'm like, yeah, but then I got to manage the person. Right. And that is my responsibility. Um, so the, the short answer to your question is I, I have used third party management. Um, I haven't brought it in house yet, but I think inevitably to manage it the right way and to maximize the return at some point you have to bring it in house and, or you have to have a partner that operates a a property management company. Gotcha. Okay. I'm very glad you at least said, cause at least I, like you said that it's a long-term wealth play because that's what I truly feel like rentals are. I feel like people live off those rental incomes right when they buy it. And I'm like, bro, that's a disaster waiting to happen. Like I just had, like I have like, I like one of my rentals is in Georgia. It was just a really good sub two deal. And I had to like the tenants trash the place and I had to put in $10,000 worth of work. And I'm like, that was like all my cash 10 years of cash flow (laughs) yeah it was like that was like everything right like like i'm lucky that this thing appreciated because we had like it's such a good market in the past three years but like gosh darn it like that cash flow just went to like rehabbing this place right for me and this is just my opinion you can tell me what you think of it yes or no i think the main reason for owning rentals isn't really cash flow as much you do it so that when all of that stuff happens it isn't like you're going bankrupt I feel like it's the depreciation, which I'll have you explain that to people what depreciation is um, and uh, being able to refi and take out money. Ta- it's basically the tax benefits to me is like what makes it so worth it. And the leverage of it, too, is pretty cool, like for how much money you have to put in to a property. Yeah. But yeah, like, I don't know, like for me, depreciation, which, by the way, it's I'll, I'll let you explain it. Like, what is depreciation for people? Just so they know, what are the tax benefits of owning real estate? Because I think those are the main reasons you should own real estate versus other tax assets, not necessarily cash flow. For sure. So um, it's four ways to make money on real estate, cash flow, appreciation, depreciation, and tenant mortgage buy down. Most people think cash flow is at the top. To me, cash flow is at the bottom. Right. It's it's great to be there, but I'm not bank. Again, I've told you, I've never taken a penny out of these properties ever. Right. I only use the money to reinvest into more assets. So I agree with you. Cash flows is at the bottom uh, for me. Uh, but I'm 30. Right. I started buying these when I was I would, technically I bought my first one at 20. Um, so I know when I'm, you know, 40, 50 years old, like the cash flow is going to be there because the debt's going to stay the same. And then the interest, the, the, um, uh, the rent is going to grow over time. So the margin will get there in the future, not today, right? At least five years, and then it might see some cash flow. Um, so we're definitely on the same page with that. But the main reason, like you said, is one, the appreciation. Properties go up in value over time. So you make money, you build equity without really doing anything. And then two is the tax benefits. So um, uh, there's different ways to set up uh, structures with depreciation. Uh, but like, let's say you buy a $100,000 uh, house, Right. And you can typically depreciate those over 27 and a half years. So for super here, I'll get the actual numbers so people don't quote me later on. So you take 100,000 and you divide that by 27 and a half. So you can write off $3,636 every year going forward. So let's say after all expenses, you net $3,000 in actual profit in your pocket. On paper, you can depreciate $3,636 every year for the next 27 and a half years. So even though you have $3,000 in your pocket, 
on paper, you lost $636. So you don't pay any taxes on that. So that's the beautiful part of like about the cash flow, because like you might make a couple grand in cash flow a year and then you can offset that income. But the really powerful thing is if you're a quote unquote full time real estate investor, um, Google it if you're curious if you are. But the IRS, you got to work a certain amount of hours in real estate um, to be a full time real estate investor. But what I can do is I can depreciate the assets and offset my active other businesses. So for what that means is like on that hundred thousand dollar house, we'll do maybe not on a hundred thousand dollar house, but on a big asset, you'll do a cost segregation study. So you'll spend money up front. And then instead of taking you know that amount every year over the next 27 and a half years, there's a huge portion year one that you'll be able to write off. So maybe you'll be able to write off $20,000, $25,000 year one on that $100,000 asset. So if I get a $20,000 write-off year one, it's essentially the equivalent of saving me $7,000 in taxes, right? So how I used to buy real estate is like the Burr method, buy, renovate, rent, refinance, and repeat. And I always wanted to be in for a net zero. Like I wanted to, to refi and not have any money into the deal, ideally get money back, but ideally like a break even. I'm all in for 150. The bank gives me back 150. I pay off my debt and I'm good. That's how I used to buy rentals. Now that I understand the tax benefit, the true tax benefits of it, I figure out roughly what my tax savings is going to be. And let's say I buy this asset. So this asset will save me $10,000 of an actual tax bill that I have to pay to the IRS at the end of the year. So here's my two options. I don't buy the asset and I pay $10,000 to the IRS or I burr into the asset and I have to keep $10,000 of my money into the deal. So I'm paying a little bit more than maybe what I wanted to pay, but the $10,000 is still gone. It's into the asset, but now I own the asset and I don't have to pay the $10,000 to the IRS. So the two options is pay 10 grand to the IRS, put 10 grand into a house that I'm going to build wealth with. Like the answer is simple for me. So once I realized that I went out and bought, I'm buying a lot more real estate to offset my taxes because those are the two options. I'd rather own the real estate than write the check to the government. I love it. Awesome, man. So we're reaching the end of the podcast. Um, so I always end this with one question, which is if you, Austin, could go back to yourself nine years ago, right when you were starting out in real estate, what would you tell yourself then knowing everything that you know now? Man, that's a very loaded question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, a couple a couple things. Um, one, remove all fear. Because, uh, again, real estate is not an if game. It's a win game. So, you know, I talked about that process of me becoming more confident. And that's what, you know, blew me up. Um, do that day one. Right. Like get rid of the, the if. Hey, what if this doesn't work? What if I lose money? What if I go bankrupt? Like all these negative things, like get rid of that stuff because real estate works. And I promise you, if you have no fear, like you'll be way more successful than a lot of people out there. Like if I if I had the confidence I had now, day one, oh, it'd be night and day. And for you to like, it'd be night and day different, right? So number yeah. one is get rid of all fear. Um, and number two, if instead of doing five years of flipping forever, uh, maybe, not maybe, kept a few rentals um, along the way. Uh, so, you know, maybe at one out of every five or one out of every 10 deals or something, um, kept one of them as a rental property. So early on, you have to make money, you have to wholesale, you have to flip, you have to build a base. Uh, but then after you have that, you know, try to take down some rental properties to to build some wealth along the way. I love it, my man. So where are you doing deals? What would you want from my community? Um, I like, we can drop your socials, we can drop everything. This is the plug it time. Like, what do we got? I heard you had a coaching program. What should we plug right now? Yeah. So uh, all the social media is at Austin Rutherford. I uh, would love to connect with you. Shoot me a DM on Instagram. That's where I'm most active. Uh, if you want to grab a copy of my book, it's up there. If you go to howtogetfreehouses.com, howtogetfreehouses.com. Um, it's, it's basically how to build wealth using other people's money. Um, and like I said, shoot, shoot me a DM on Instagram. I, I respond to everybody on there. So I'd love to. Connect. What are what are your markets? Where are you buying houses? Yeah. yeah. So uh, Columbus, Ohio, and I think we're going into Cincinnati, Ohio. So anything in Ohio, if you get it, um, send it to me. We're, we're buying deals every week. So we'd love to do some deals together. I love it, my man. Awesome. So cool. Love it. You're amazing guest. He's a really chill guy. I guys like I DM'd him. He's like, yeah, I'll go do your podcast. So like, yeah, just DM him. He's a great guy, especially if you're doing deals in Ohio. Definitely get the book. 
follow him on Instagram and YouTube. And then, yeah, man, any last words before I uh, end this? No, man. Appreciate the uh, the opportunity. And like I said, for everyone listening, get, get rid of the fear. It, it, it works. It's not rocket science. That's the whole point of the podcast. All right. Thank you, my man. This was Scorch the Fears. We'll be back Thursday, 6 p.m. MST next week. I appreciate you guys so much. Let's freaking go. Get it.